Assalamu alaikum. You're listening to the Heartwork Community Quran Study of Surah Yusuf at Roots. All of our programming at Roots is live streamed and published free of charge thanks to the goodwill of our monthly sustainers. Your donations allow us to continue our mission of being a community of welcoming, providing meaningful content, and nurturing our hearts, minds, and souls in coming closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and His Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa You can help us reach our Ramadan campaign goal of 250 new sustainers by signing up today. Or, if you are already a sustainer, you can increase your amount and also encourage your family and friends to support the work we do by signing up at rootsdfw.org sustain. As always, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless you and reward you. Jazakumullah khairan wa salamu alaykum wa rahmatullah. Alrighty. Hello, alhamdulillah. Welcome home, everybody. It's good to see you, alhamdulillah, here. Uh, Golden Hour is amazing right now, by the way. It is uh, hitting us, I say. Sorry for the delay, just been running around to get everything set, alhamdulillah. Um, wanted to, inshallah, continue uh, uh, with this. And I know that we kind of start off each... How do I stop trying this? We start off each week sort of like with this general reminder. Um, I think one of the things that I realized or... You know, I was traveling this weekend and there was a, a session that I was doing and one of the things that I, that I thought of or I guess I said as somebody said it really clicked for them was in Islam everything that we do, every try, everything that we try to do to become better and closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, uh, there's like a path, right? There's this idea that we're traveling on this path, on this journey. And oftentimes when we look at uh, a goal that we have that requires us to go a certain length, right? We want to know how long it's going to take us to get there and how far and all these questions, right? If you've ever been on a road trip before or if you're planning out any travel, you always want to make sure that you know exactly how long you want to plan all these things. The reality is that as Muslims, part of the, part of the responsibility, in fact, part of the requirement to benefit on this path of guidance is actually not step number one, but it's actually what I call step zero. Step number one would be to like read the Qur'an, right, learn more, engage more. But step zero is to humble yourself to be able to say, you know what, I need to do this. Like, I need to do this. If you read the Qur'an with a perspective that you are like doing Allah a favor, or that, you know, somehow, some way, this is like, maybe it'll work, maybe it won't then the reality is that the guidance that's laced between the letters of this book will not necessarily fall upon the heart of a person who's not humble. But Allah Ta'ala in the Qur'an tells us time and time again that in order for a person to benefit from this guidance, they have to be willing to humble themselves. Right? And how, what does it mean to be humble? Well, it means in our day, in our age, to know and to acknowledge that we don't know everything. And that we do need to come back to the Book of Allah for these answers, for these questions that we struggle with. And regardless whether or not you're in a situation exactly like Prophet Yusuf or not, there's always going to be guidance there. So I want everyone, inshallah, every time you come to hard work, I want us all to reset our intentions back to step zero. Which is that we might be here because our friends are here, or our family's here, or whatnot. But the reality is that our goal is to leave here feeling changed, nourished. Just like our mission statement at Root says, we want everyone to leave here feeling like they just had a good meal, 
right? And you can't do that unless you acknowledge that you're hungry. So we ask Allah Ta'ala to feed us and to nourish us with this book of the Qur'an, inshaAllah. Uh, scholars used to give the metaphor of Qur'an like drinking cold water. That if you're really thirsty, then you'll, 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 make, you'll find water wherever you can. Right? So the reality is that we have to acknowledge just in fact how needy we are of it before we come to it. Okay? So let's go ahead and dive back in, inshaAllah. Uh, Yusuf salam is in a very uh, precarious situation. Uh, we talked about before now how he took the uh, blame, even though it was it was not right. He was not rightfully accused. He was wrongfully accused, but he ended up taking a uh, punishment that he did not deserve. And we we mentioned how this is kind of like a trend in the story of Yusuf that there's ups and downs. And every time Yusuf, peace be upon him, every time he's met with some sort of challenge or like a fork in the road, um, as the reader, you're always like cheering him on, like you're like, he's doing the right thing, right? You know, he's, 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 he's a good brother, he's a good son, but he still gets caught up by his brothers. You know, he does the right thing, he avoids the, the seduction of the minister's wife, but he still gets in trouble. He stands there in his principle, in his belief, as he's being called to do something, being threatened with prison, he still stands tall on his principle and doesn't do the wrong thing. So every time he does something, it's very easy for us as a reader to like cheer for him. We're excited. We love to see good things. But the result of those things is that he ends up being tested every single time. And now we're catching him in the middle of one of his tests. And one of the lessons that we took from that is that we have to know and we have to trust at some point that there is good that's going to come from these decisions. You know, sometimes you make decisions in life and you want to see the good immediately. That's actually not part of that equation, right? Allah is not a merchant. We're not transacting with God, right? With merchants, you, you spend and you want to receive. Amazon Prime, right? You spend and you want to receive. With Allah, you give and you do, and you sacrifice, and you submit, and you trust. You trust that there's going to be something that's coming back to you in a good way. And even if it's not exactly what you wanted in this life, then it will be, inshallah, waiting for you even better in the next. So Yusuf Salam is in the middle of this prison discussion. He's there with two people. They were both servants of the minister, and they were, according to some of the narrations, they were caught stealing, so they were sent to prison. Now they've been having these dreams, and they asked Yusuf that, you know what, we see that you're a pious guy, we see that you're very noble, and that you continue to worship Allah, continue to worship God, even though you're in a really difficult situation, which is another lesson. When you're being tested, that's not the time to turn away from Allah. That's the time to turn in, turn back to Allah. So they say to him that, I dreamt that I was pressing wine. One of them said that I dreamt that I was pressing and making the, the, the juice that would ferment into wine. And the other one said that I dreamt that I was carrying some bread on my head and the birds were coming to eat from it. So he had like a basket of bread on his head and some birds were coming to eat from it. So then they said to him, tell us, give us the t interpretation. Let us know what these dreams mean because we see that you are in fact one of those people who is really righteous. Yusuf immediately, when he gets this praise, when he gets this recognition, who does he direct the praise back to? Allah. He turns the praise back to Allah. This is where we finished last week. He doesn't say, yeah, I am really good. He says, this is something that my Lord has taught me. This is something that he says here, that Allah Ta'ala has given me the knowledge of. I didn't come across this because of my own, right, because of my own skills or talents. 
And this is again one of the characters of piety, one of the characters of prophethood, the characteristics of these people, is that they weren't people that sought out status and titles and things like that. Look, I, I've seen your LinkedIn's, okay? You gotta do what you gotta do to climb the ladder. I understand, right? Roots has fund fundraisers and donation drives. We all work on this together, okay? I mean, I love how they give everyone here a raise and a bonus. I mean, however, however, there is a spiritually healthy way to acknowledge your work, and there is a spiritually destructive way to do it, right? And the spiritually healthy way revolves around recognizing, and even your language recognizes that you were given opportunities and you were granted privileges that allowed you to achieve the goals that you've achieved versus a kind of rhetoric that completely is void of any sort of gratitude to anyone else besides yourself. And, and when you look at you know, famous people, athletes when they win championships or MVP awards or whatever, right? What is, what is the, the, what's the moment to remember? What are like the classic moments during those speeches, those post-game interviews? Is when the athlete or the champion or the MVP, when they thank other people, right? When Kevin Durant talks about his mom, right? When Derrick Rose speaks about his mother, when these people reference others, what are they doing? They're pushing gratitude back to those people that facilitated it for them. Don't ever be a person that forgets where you came from. Don't ever be a person that forgets that Allah Ta'ala is the one who gave you whatever it is that allows you to succeed in this life. We ask Allah Ta'ala to make us grateful people. So he turns it back and he says that, yes, I have this ability. I can actually tell you the food that you're going to eat before it even comes to you. I can tell you what's going to be for breakfast tomorrow, even though it hasn't been told to us yet. Why? Because he says, this is the nature of my relationship with Allah, is that I'm a prophet of God, and he gives me information, he gives me news, right? And it's interesting because one of the, one of the roles of prophets is to tell us what's going to happen, what's going to come. The job of the prophet is to teach us the things that we haven't experienced yet. So the prophet, sallallahu he teaches us about the afterlife. This is what Jannah is going to be like. This is what heaven will be like. This is what hell is like. May Allah protect us from it. This is what, the, he, he lays out the path, right? So Yusuf here is saying that this is part of my, my job and God has taught me these things. And he said that as part of that, my other, my other natural turn is that anything else that people turn to besides Allah and those people that disbelieve in Him and deny the hereafter, I don't, I don't associate with that. I don't mess with that at all. I don't come near it. Right? And a Muslim person in this lesson is a person that does not come near an environment or a place or a situation, even if they have to come near it for whatever reason or circumstance, in their heart, they want to remove themselves as soon as possible. The Prophet taught us a really powerful hadith. He said that when a person who is a Muslim sees something that is wrong, they have three options. The first option, who knows? They have three options to change it. Let me give you that. The first option is with what? With their hand, right? Meaning what? To do what you can to change the situation. I was driving with somebody uh, in, in Georgia, in Atlanta. I don't know why I said Georgia. Uh, SubhanAllah Georgia, Atlanta is, a, is, a, is an interesting place guys The land of Waffle House um, There's a lot of Waffle Houses there We were there and we were driving And uh, um, there was an Amazon box on the road And my friend, he works for Amazon So this is like the irony of the, the most ironic of the situation 
because Amazon box in the road, garbage, someone, you know, their trash or their recycling flew out. And so as we're driving by, he like comes to a screech and I looked up and I, I was like, I saw, I thought like an animal was crossing the road and he goes, I'm picking this up. I'm picking it up. And he picks up the box and he puts it in his car. And I thought it was like an Amazon pride thing because he works for Amazon. <laughs> but then he goes, no, I watched the Jenna series by Chef Omar sitting then. And he goes, and I remember at one point he said that, you know, uh, uh, um, you don't ever want to turn down even the most tiny of good deeds because you don't know which deed will be your Jannah deed. Like, you don't know. You might be, like, on the border of paradise and, like, all of a sudden they're like, yeah, you held the door open for someone at Kroger. And you're like, there's an automatic door and they knew, like, you were standing there. <laughs> right? Some good deed. You, you, you paid for someone's meal. You picked up trash that wasn't yours. And all of a sudden, because of that deed, you might have been entered into uh, a Jannah. We asked what Tyler's parents is that. So my friend was saying this. He said that that video, right, it changed me. And now I don't simply look at something and say it's not my job. It's not my responsibility. It's not my garbage, right? He's like, I see it. And if I can, I change it with my hand. The Prophet then continued, and he said, if you can't change it with your hand, then what should you do? Then you change it, he says, with your tongue, which means to speak against it. To educate, to advocate, right? To, to speak with your word that Allah Ta'ala has given you. And then he says, and if you can't, which means that there will be some moments in life that you can't change with your hand. And there will be some times in your life, and this is very important, where you as a person will not be able to even say something. That you, that you believe in that moment because it's not the right time. And the Prophet ﷺ says, at that moment, the job of a Muslim, the responsibility of a believer, is to at least feel in their heart that this thing that I'm witnessing is wrong. And to hate it with everything that they have inside of them. Right? So, Yusuf Ayyusadam here is teaching us that when it comes to what we see in the world around us, this is very important, your Iman, your faith, is directly impacted by the things that your heart accepts and rejects. And at the bare minimum, you might not be able to change things physically or speak out even constantly against them, but at the bare minimum in your heart, you should pray to Allah that the situation of that thing changes and that He removes you from that. So Yusuf says, I've shunned the faith of people who disbelieve in Allah and deny the hereafter. They deny the fact that they're ever going to meet Allah in the afterlife. I follow the faith of my fathers, he continues. I follow the faith and the way of my fathers, Ibrahim, Ishaq, and Yaqub. He mentions the lineage. And I want Imam Suraj Wahaj. How many of you guys know that name? Okay. Everyone needs to go and YouTube Suraj Wahaj. You need to listen to Imam Suraj Wahaj. Without a doubt, is one of the Imams of America. Okay? Without a doubt. He, subhanAllah, is now very elderly. But when I was younger, he was someone that was giving youth talks at like Isna. And they would pick him and he would give these talks and he was so powerful. And I'll never forget one thing that he said. He walked into the youth talk and he said, how many of you feel shy or weird or awkward because you feel like Islam is like a foreign religion? And I'll ask you the same question. How many of you in your life have ever felt that Islam is like a foreign entity? That you walk into a place and you feel like, I'm very different. I'm very different. People here probably think that I'm strange. 
right? How many of you, your name, right? This is the only coffee shop in the world where you can say your name properly. <laughs> Not all, you know, it's interesting, because even though, even though the Bruce's are all Muslim, some of them are like, they, they still don't. We're working on it, okay? <laughs> Mohammed, I'm like, no, no, wrong, right? You're fired. Uh, <laughs> we're trying to make sure that no one feels otherized here. So, but he said that. He goes, at school, at work, you feel like you're the other because of your faith. And he said, you know why that is? You feel like you're the newest religion. Like, you know, Christians, they got it. You know, Jews, obviously, you know, before that, and the Christians, like, you feel like you're the newest one. You got to explain everything. Why do Muslims do this? Why do Muslims do that? I mean, we see a hijabi at Target on the billboard. We're like, yes. <laughs> I do too. I'm not making fun of anybody. I go to the Target with my daughter, and I see a hijabi in the, on the marketing. And I'm like, look, Iman. Look. And she's like, what? And I'm like, we never had that, you know? And so it's, it's, it's something to celebrate. People get excited, right? Miss Marvel, are you serious? Yeah. Right? That's nuts. TV shows with Muslims, the opening scene is a new praying. And not like weird praying where they're like, you know, like, you know when they, they, they're like you know, CSI and like Homeland and all those shows? The white guy who's the Muslim informant? You know? Me? Okay, so uh, <laughs> I just said it. I, I saw all the brothers thinking. So they they represent it properly. It's actually very it's amazing. It's a different time, right? SubhanAllah. But Imam Sharad, I'll never forget what he said this. I was 13 or maybe 14. It was also right after 9-11. And he said, there's no reason for any Muslim here to feel shy or ashamed about their religion on the grounds that they feel like they're new. He goes, Islam is the oldest religion. What you believe is what every prophet believed. And he said, prophets that people claim, right? Moses, Jesus, etc. So people claim these prophets. He goes, on the day of judgment, they will recognize you because you belong to the same fraternity. You belong to the same community. You're Muslim and they are too. As Ibrahim said, and we are submitting to him. Right? So I remember this, and I remember subhanAllah, when you read Yusuf Ayyasadam listing the names of these prophets, you have to realize that you don't have a short chain in this. You are part of the longest chain that goes straight back to Allah Ta'ala, goes straight back to the creation of the first human being, Adam, may peace be upon him. So he said, it is not right for us to associate anything with Allah in worship. This concept of shift is something that I always try to remind myself of. Shirk, we oftentimes translate it as idol worship. But idols don't have to be physical structures. Idols can be, you know, they can be amorphous. Like they can be a person's own feelings. A person can devote themselves, right? You can say worship, but a person can devote, submit themselves to something other than Allah. That's what shirk means. Shirk is when a person gives to other than Allah what is only supposed to be for Allah. Right? So let's, let's, let's do a little exercise now. When the sun sets, when the sun goes down, in just a few minutes, right? In 30 minutes. What is due to Allah at that time? Rhymes with, uh, rhymes with Bugger. <laughs> okay, very good everybody, right? Mugger prayer. When the sun goes down, what is due to Allah at that time? Mugger. All right. Still a little bit not confident to me. Okay. We'll see. We'll see today when the sun goes down, where everyone goes. So, mother prayer is due to Allah, right? 
At that time, you have a window of time to accomplish what is due to Allah at that moment. The Maghrib prayer. If I willingly and knowingly and purposefully and unrepentantly choose to devote myself in that moment to anything besides Allah, and I miss that window of time, I miss it, then that is one of the grave, grave sins that a person can commit. I'm not talking about you accidentally slept through it, you were driving, you did, I'm not, no accident here. We're talking about intentionally, knowingly missing it. There's a hadith of the Prophet where he said that a person who knowingly misses an Asr prayer on purpose, like with no, like they just kind of watch the clock go by. There's no reason, no concession. He said all of their good deeds are erased. It's kind of strong, isn't it? You're like, whoa, Rasulullah, like, come on, man. Like, I did a lot of good stuff. It's just one prayer. It's not one prayer. You're missing the point. It's not one prayer. It's the attitude that you could sit there doing nothing, watching the clock go from Bulgar to Asr, or from Asr to Malib, sorry, and not get up and perform four rakahs that probably take you 90 seconds. So you can't do that? It's clear that you're not in this. Right? So again, if a person misses prayer on accident or with, with some sort of like weakness or mistake, that's different. We're talking about very intentional devotion to other than Allah. Right? And I will tell you this, and I tell this story a lot. When you devote yourself to Allah in times where you're waffling a little bit, right? Allah honors you so much. It's crazy how Allah can take a situation that makes you fearful when you think about it, and at the end of it you feel you feel restored and proud. When I prayed at that college football game, I prayed during, uh, uh, we, I took some kids to a football game when I was a youth director in Tennessee, and I prayed the Salah there. And I remember how afraid I was. And I was their teacher. Like, they were looking at me, they were like, are we going to pray? And I was like, are we? <laughs> and you know? I was like, maybe we're all just travelers. <laughs> we can combine and shorten. You know, the Prophet sometimes at the end of his life, like you're a traveler, like maybe we're all traveling. Trying to find excuses, because when you're scared, you're looking for any loophole you can find, right? I don't know if I have wudu. I think it's like really bad to pray without wudu or something. There's no water here. It's a young moon, there's no dust. You know, you just start making up stuff, right? You gotta get out of it. So we went and prayed, and I remember we asked the gentleman, can we pray here? And all he said to us, the team, their name was the Vault, the Volunteers. And all he said in response, and I was, I was like, I'm telling you, I was like, in my mid-twenties, I was a teacher of these young guys. And I was like nervous. Like, what is he going to say? This is the South. This is God, God's country. And he said, uh, you can pray as long as you pray for the balls. <laughs> right? The football team. And I've told the story before, so I'm sure you've heard it. But like, we were praying. And I remember in Sajda. Think of, by the way, how, how vulnerable you are in Sajda. You know, you can't see anything. Your face is on the ground. So people walk up to us. It's halftime. So they're like six beers in at this point saying all kind of crazy stuff. They walk by, like, what are they looking for? Are they kissing the ground? Blah, blah, you know, whatever. And uh, the security guard that we asked for permission, this very elderly uh, 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 Caucasian man, he said, hey, leave him alone. And everyone who was walking by, they were like, whoa, okay, relax. And he's like, they're praying for the balls. <laughs> they're, like, they're praying for them. And I remember, like, we left that, and obviously, like, you know, we had to bite our tongue not to laugh at Salah, so we were like, you know, and we left that, and we went and sat, and we finished the game. And the whole thing took, like, maybe three minutes. It was very, very, like, efficient timing. We went and sat in our seats, 
And there was only a few guys, and I remember looking at them and being like, isn't it crazy that how scared we were to do the right thing? And how Allah sent, that you don't know who the soldiers of your Lord is except for him. Like whatever that guy's name was, like Clarence, <laughs> Allah chose him to protect us while we could pray. Just because he did the right thing. Now we could have like, I'm sure we could have been like, you know, we're afraid for our safety. It's the South. You know, we don't know what's going to happen. I mean, look, the Nefs is a great lawyer, man. No offense to any attorneys in here. The Nefs is a great lawyer. It can argue any case and make you and make you think and believe truthfully that, you know what, this is the right way. But your iman, your heart, the faith that you have is meant to go back against and push back a little bit. And say, so, you know what, I think I can do this. I think I can actually do the right thing in this moment. So he lists and he says, it's not right for us to associate anything with Allah and worship. This is part of Allah Ta'ala's favor upon us. He mentions that this recognition of purpose is one of Allah Ta'ala's favor upon us. You know, Umar bin Khattab, one time they asked him, they said, who is going to lose their Islam like first? Who's going to lose Islam first? And he said, the people who are born Muslim. And, and, and the people listening, I want you to understand something. The first generation of companions were all converts. No one was born Muslim with the Prophet Do you get that? They were all converts. So we're talking about, you know how the norm these days in Muslim circles, unless it's like a convert-specific gathering, is that typically everyone there, mostly 90-plus percent of people, were born into Islam, right? And so that's kind of like the de facto. I want you to imagine a generation an era where the only Muslims were people who had to choose to be Muslim. And not only did they have to choose, they had to choose at a time where being Muslim meant that you were going to be harassed and tortured. So it wasn't like, oh, you, you choose Islam and you're going to be given gifts and like shower with prayer. Like now if someone converts, like after Maghrib today, inshallah, if anyone wants to, by the way, we're welcome. Right? <laughs> if you convert after Maghrib, like you're going to get hugs till Isha, man. You know what I mean? That was one of the worst parts about COVID. We couldn't hug converts. Like, I felt like everyone was just like waiting to like congratulate. It was such a beautiful moment. But there was a time when if you took if you took shahada during the time of the Meccan era, you were like basically you, you and your family were on a on a hit list now. So Omar is sitting there with some of these senior companions. Those people who had to I mean to find Islam for them was more sacrifice than maybe any of us, all of us combined, will ever have to experience. And he looks at it and he says, you know, the first people to lose their Islam will be born Muslims. And, and someone asked him, why? Why would you say that? Think about it. His own son, Abdullah bin Umar, is right there. And he says, because they never tasted the bitterness of kufr before they found Islam. It's crazy. Like, it's all just a paradigm shift. If we see Islam as a blessing, if we see this guidance as a blessing, it becomes the sweetest thing that you could have. If you see it as a burden, that Islam does nothing but make my life harder, you'll never be able to see the, recognize the favor Allah has given to you. And sometimes, just sometimes, when you, when you sit and you listen to the story of someone that did come to Islam, my father is one of them, right? I know I just shocked a lot of people who think I'm a convert. My dad converted to Islam, okay? Poor guy doesn't get enough credit. They all think it's me. When you, when you listen to people who accept Islam, and they describe, sometimes, not all of them, sometimes they describe 
the path it took them to get there. I want everyone in this room to remember the name Salman al-Farisi. A companion of Prophet What he went through, what he went through to find Islam, you feel ashamed. Like you feel like you can't even look this person in the eye. Because part of you is like, how is it that you went and sought this religion that I've been trying to avoid my entire young adult life? And maybe only now I'm making that turn back into it. And this person is describing how difficult it was. So look at how Allah describes. He says that this is from the favors of Allah upon us. That we have this cognition of His oneness and His uniqueness. Our purpose is clear. Our understanding of our faith is clear. There's nothing really complicated about believing in one God and that He sent prophets. It's really not that complex. I know that some people get really wired out about, you know, like, oh, can I eat here? Is this Zabiha, non Zabiha? Right? I'm still waiting for someone to name their kids Zabiha, right? I'm still waiting for that moment. <laughs> Uh, how do we buy a house, this and that, music, what kind of music, right? Other months, that's about Taylor Swift, is she haram now, like, all this stuff. Man, don't get caught up in that stuff so much. It's fifth. There's legal systems. Trust a scholar, ask a scholar, and listen to them. What I'm talking about is your belief. The belief that we have is very straightforward and very simple. And he says, unfortunately, when it comes to humanity, most people will not be grateful for this. The problem is that we're not grateful for it. That's the issue. Then he continues and he says, Oh, my fellow prisoners. He says, Oh, my companions of the prison. Which is far better? Many different lords or Allah, one the supreme. Now again, people here might say, I'm not worshiping multiple gods. But translate this to what you might be experiencing. What is better? Devoting yourself and trying to find happiness in a million different places or trying to find happiness in your faith. What is better? Anyone here ever been for Umrah? Mecca Medina? Okay. Can you guys, anyone here remember Ramadan? Just, wow, a, month, a little over a month ago? Right? Can you compare any feeling, can you compare any feeling in the world, any experience to the feeling you have when you attain closeness with Allah? For those of you who haven't been for Umrah yet, may Allah take you, inshallah, soon and make it easy for you. I'll tell you something. As soon as you get the chance, go. As soon as you get the chance. Don't wait. Don't, don't go to Bali first. Or Tulum. Enough of Tulum, guys. I'm done with Tulum. Okay? If I see Tulum on anyone's Instagram, I'm blocking you immediately. The Tulum list. Okay? As soon as you get a chance to go to Umrah, go. And I promise you, the things that you will learn about yourself in that experience will be more than the entire amount of hard work you've ever been to in your life. It'll be so... It, again, there's not going to be like a massive miracle when you show up. You know, Angel Gabriel is there taking your bags. <laughs> no, it's not like that. In fact, you might have some bumps along the way, but you discover about yourself how you handle those situations. When you walk up to the Kaaba, and you realize and you look at it, and you realize, subhanAllah, you know, I love the Kaaba because as a very big person myself, I'm used to always being, people make ways for me. When I walk, right, and I'm walking down a hallway, people will park because they don't want to run into my shoulders. And when you go to the Kaaba, you walk, and there's like these five foot one Indonesian ladies <laughs> that just bowl you over. Offensive line. 
All the big dudes in here know what I'm talking about. You don't stand a chance. Right? And 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 you're looking at them, you're like, are you not? Are do you not? And they don't care. Because you know why? No one there cares about anyone besides Allah. It's not that they're mean. It's not that they're jerks and that, no, 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 no. You're, you're not. They're so focused on the Kaaba that they don't even see you. And it's not that they don't see you because they're rude. Because as soon as you see them and they make eye contact, they smile. It's just like, but when they're focused on Allah, that's their only focus. And that, that experience is something that I'm telling you, you cannot fabricate it in any way else. To be there, to visit, to be in the city where the Prophet feet walk. You know, some scholars in Islam, they used to walk around Medina barefoot. They used to take their shoes off. At, long after he died, long after his passing, they would walk around barefoot. And when asked why, they would say, I'm just hoping, I'm praying that maybe one particle of dust that touched his feet will touch mine. That maybe on the day of judgment, <clears throat> that one particle will testify for me and say, yeah, 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 Allah. Don't put him in hellfire because he shares this bond with the messenger of God. This is like, when you go there, I'm telling you, man, Tulum, what? Tulum becomes Galveston real fast. <laughs> when you go to Mecca and Medina. Okay, now let's not take this day. I apologize if you're from Galveston. Okay, all right. So he's trying to say, look, don't, don't, Spend yourself. Don't spend your life, this precious time Allah has given you. Don't spend it trying to find happiness in all these different places. If you find happiness with Allah, you will be happy in the most fancy and in the most simple situations. In the most complex and in the most straightforward. You'll be happy when times are good and when times are bad. You'll find yourself just being happy no matter what. You'll be able to find pleasure. Because everywhere Allah is, you'll be happy. And Allah with you, who He is with you wherever you are. He says, whatever idols you worship instead of Him are just mere names and ideas. A practice that Allah has never authorized. He never told you to do this. It is only Allah who decides. He has commanded that you worship none but Him. That is the upright faith, faith but most people do not know. Do you guys remember what they asked Him for? This has been a, a long passage so far. What are they asking for again? They just want dream interpretation. <laughs> And he's like, I'll give it to you, but you have to listen to me for a while. Let me tell you. And why? Because everything that Islam gives us is meant to connect us back to our ultimate purpose in life. Everything. Some people, if he interpreted the dream right then and there, he gave him the dream, what do you think they're going to think? Wow, this guy, this guy knows everything. This guy is this, this guy is that. His purpose as a prophet is not to make people impressed with him. It's to connect people back to Allah. Right? That's his goal. Always be connecting people back to Allah. I'll give everyone here an assignment, a challenge. If anyone in your life sees you as impressive in any way, see how you can direct that impressiveness back to Allah. See, just try. Right? It, it, you know, it, it doesn't hurt to try. Somebody says, I really like your clothes, I really like your outfit, I really like your whatever. Say, thank God. You know, it's a blessing. Amen, my boy, amen. Whenever I ask him, how are you? He goes, I'm blessed. He always uses that word. Then. He always says, I'm blessed. You know why? Because he doesn't want the person asking to think that he's good because of what he did. He reminds the person asking him, I'm only good because Allah 
has given me more blessings than I can count. And really, in reality, <laughs> you look at everything you have, and you're like, man, I have way too much. Allah has given me way too much. We have complaints, we have problems, no doubt. But Allah has given me more than I could have asked for. So try your best. Look at what you saw Yisrael was doing. Connecting them back to Allah. And then he gives them the answer. He says, oh, my fellow prisoners. He says, the first one of you will be the one who will serve wine to his master. So you're going to be somebody that's going to be a, uh, a wine service person. And he says, and the second one, he goes, you will be crucified. Crucifixion, right? On the cross. You're going to be crucified. And birds will come and they will peck at your head. They'll eat from your head. And he says, this is the matter that you have inquired about, which has been decided. All right. Wow. Who expected that? Plot twist. And one of the guys is like cheering, the other guy is crying. You know, one of the guys is like, oh, thank God, I'm going to be in the, in the royal court serving some, some royal person wine. That's a sweet job, sweet gig, I don't have to do much. And the other person is now thinking like, when is my, when is my, my time going to end, right? But this is the reality, subhanAllah, is that our destiny, our moments that Allah Ta'ala has destined for us, some of them are good and some of them are not so good. Some of them, for us, are sweet and some of them are very bitter. And that's the reality of it. The only thing that you control in your life, you don't control what happens to you. You really don't. And the older you get, the more you realize. I, I, know, I know I talk about my knee a lot, but you know I tore my ACL. Yeah. So I tore up playing basketball and I was in a, I was in a league game. And I'll tell you something. The frustrating part about that injury is that I have done that jump a million times. I've, I've landed on my leg a million times. And I remember talking to the surgeon, and he was like, do you have any questions for me? And I was like, why? And he was like, that sounds deeper than a surgeon can answer. And, like, and he's Muslim, he's like, that's a you question, Imam. Like, I was like, no, why did God do this? I, I asked him, like, no, medically, why does your body, why is it able to do the same thing multiple times, and then one of those times your knee just pops out sideways? Sorry. Yeah, sorry. Uh, your knee gently bends and a ligament tears violently. And you know what he says? He said, truthfully, we don't know. He goes, we have theories, but we have no idea why. And I'm driving home, and I'm like, this guy's an orthopedic surgeon, man. What good is your license if you can't tell me why my body's doing things? And then I call my mom, and of course, you know what she says. Because Habibi, you could have been anywhere that night doing anything, you would have fallen into your ACL. It was written for you. Now, take my story and forget about the injury and think about your own life. How many things do we, it petrifies us to the point where we don't move because we're so afraid of something happening or something not happening. And we don't want to, you know, I always love the istikhara du'a. Oh Allah, give this to me. If it's good, grant it for me. If it's bad, you're supposed to say what? Take it. You're supposed to say what? Take it away from me and replace it with something better. That's not the istikhara du'a of Muslims in 2023. Muslims in 2023 is, oh Allah, if it's good, give it to me. If it's not good, make it good for me. Because I know what's good for me. That's the, that's the, that's the millennial jadzi istikhara du'a. Oh Allah, Please, you can do anything. 
I heard on Monday that you can do anything. Can you just make this person good for me? All the signs say no, but nothing can tell you no, Allah. Make this person good for me. Subhanallah, <laughs> right? The reality is, I'm going to be honest with you guys, right? 35, when I was 25, I may have been a little more gentle about this. When I was 25, truthfully, I shouldn't have been giving lectures. But we were in a, we were in a tough state at the moment. I'm the Tiyamo Iman. You have me to on water. So, but I will say this. 25, I might have handled this differently, but I'll say 35. One of the best life advices you can ever get is tie your camel Try your camel and then trust Allah. وَإِذَا عَزَمْتَ فَتَوَكَّلْ عَلَى اللَّهِ إِنَّ اللَّهِ يَتَّبُلْ مُتَوَكِّلِ Once you've made your choice, trust in Allah. You can't control the outcome then. You can't. All you can do is control how you approach the situation and how you handle what Allah Ta'ala has destined for you and trust that what He's destined is ultimately what's best for you. As sour as it is. Right? And then he said to the person that was going to survive, he said to the person, right? He's like, I did you a favor. Now I need you to do me a favor. He says what? He says, please mention me in the presence of the one you're serving wine to, your master, the minister. Just mention me. Because once, once you go to prison, in ancient Egypt and probably uh, here in modern Egypt now, once you go to you're forgotten about. There's no chance of coming out. So he says, I'm afraid that I've been forgotten about. I'm innocent to begin with, and I'm afraid that I've been forgotten about. So now I'm going to do a favor. Can you imagine? The person who interpreted your dream and did it correctly and told you that you were going to be the one who's going to live. There's only two of you. And one of you is going to live. Would you ever forget that person? Would you ever? I, I would name my son after him. What's your name? Yusuf? That's my son's name. Right? What happens to Prophet Yusuf in the story? He goes, please don't forget me. So he says what? He says he forgot to mention his shaytan caused him to forget to mention the name of this person or this situation to his Master, and so he remained in in prison for several years. Man, Yusuf did the right thing again. He just can't catch a break, can he? He can't catch a break. And if you feel for a moment like you're starting to feel closer and closer to Yusuf every time he does the right thing and can't catch a break, then you're reading the right suit. This is what's happening. I want you now to transport yourself back to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi because this is being revealed to him. This surah is being given to him as a gift. Because he's in a really tough spot. What is he doing? What is the Prophet doing? Leading up to Amin Huzn, the year of sadness. What has he done except exactly what he was supposed to do? What has he done except exactly what Allah wanted for him to do? And what is happening to him except exactly the most dangerous and the most difficult things that he's encountered in his life? This is the nature of this dunya, y'all. It's not meant to be easy, and it's not meant to mathematically add up. Sometimes you're given things you don't deserve, and sometimes things you think you will get are not given to you when you want them. 
And that's what the story of Yusuf is teaching us. Time and time again. I hope that you're like me. And as you read this, every time he does the right thing and it doesn't turn out, your heart breaks a little bit. But then hopefully, right? And one of my teachers said this. He said that the dunya is supposed to break your heart so that you don't love anyone but Allah. Like, over and over again. <laughs> you know? The rishta that didn't work out? Why? Why? I guess I should pray. Right? The job that didn't happen? Why Allah? I'm going to go pray. I'm unemployed. I'm going to go to the masjid. That was so fun. Right? We're going to live in the masjid together. So my teacher said, the dunya is designed to wear you down so that you always turn back to God. And this is what's happening to you, Islam. Not that he ever turned away. But, yeah. So he says, Allah Ta'ala continues, and we're going to wrap up here. But I want to leave you with this teaser. He says, and one day the king said, I dreamt. Uh-oh. We know what Yusuf's special power is. He said, I dreamt that seven fat cows were eaten up by seven skinny ones. And seven green ears of grain and also others that were dry. Seven others that were dry. So he's sitting there and he's talking to his entire crew. It's been years since the prison episode. Remember we said 9 to 12 years. Oh, my advisors, my chiefs, tell me the meaning of my dream. So he's trying, he's asking. Every great leader, right, has their court. He's asking his court. Who's in his court? The wine bearer, the wine seller, or the wine, the wine server. So the wine server, he's not in the court. He's not a chief, but he's just like in the area, right? He's serving wine. So now he hears this word, oh, dreams. He's like, hmm. All the chiefs respond and they say that these are, these are messed up. Like, these are not weird dreams. Interpretations don't come from this stuff. Right? What do you do when you don't know the answer to something? There's two possible choices. Someone asks you something and you don't know the answer. What do you do? First thing you can do is you say, that's a dumb question. That's what they're saying right now. They are so uncomfortable with their own ignorance that instead of saying they're ignorant, they're trying to say the guy asked me is ignorant. See what arrogance can do? It makes your world go inverse. You're ignorant, but you're calling the dude asking the question ignorant. That's just arrogance. So what do they say? The second option is to say, I don't know. And Allah knows best. And that's the most comfortable place you'll ever be in your life. Is to say, I don't know. Finally, the surviving ex-prisoner remembered Yusuf after a long time. He goes, oh yeah, dreams. I once knew a guy who knew how to interpret dreams. And he goes, I will tell you exactly what your dream means. So you can imagine the king's like, how? And he says, I know a guy. He says, send me back. Send me to the guy. Where? In prison. I'll go find him. You know, it's so amazing because this could have happened at any time much closer to when actually Yusuf was in need of to be, you know, being released, but it didn't. It didn't happen. And sometimes we question Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's timing, right? Why is Allah ta'ala making something happen? We'll see what these dreams mean. I'm not going to tell you now. We'll see what they mean, but I'll tell you one thing about these dreams. If Yusuf alayhi salam were not still in prison, and these dreams happened after he was let free and he disappeared. 
the entire country would have been devastated. Because his interpretation, his interpretation of these dreams, spoiler alert, saves everybody. Do you understand that? One more time. He was kept in prison by Allah to save the entire country of Egypt. Omidunya. Right? That's an Egyptian phrase. You see Allah's wisdom, subhanAllah. Now, bring the Quran into your life. What test did Allah put you through that you went through, and as you're going through it, you're like, why? And then as you rounded the corner on that test, and you finally came to terms with it, and Allah lifted it from you, and you came through much better on the other side, you meet someone who says, hey, I'm going through this right now, make you offer me. And you look at them and you say, I will, and I definitely will, because I know exactly what you're going through. Many people who looked for jobs, who couldn't find jobs, landed a job, the next week they go and they find someone who's looking for a job, and they're like, I will walk you through this process. I will help you. You could not have been the mercy that that person needed, except that you had to go through the test first. Aren't tests so interesting now? Aren't they so interesting? Maybe tests exist in your life to make you a mercy for someone else's life. And the feeling you have when you can help someone, Allah, what, what can replace that feeling? When you serve somebody and take care of them, you forget you even went through the test. The test now became sweet because you're able to help that person. You're able to help them. I have more stories about my ACL, but I'll stop. Okay, we ask Allah Ta'ala to protect everybody, to bless everybody here. We ask Allah Ta'ala to allow us to be patient with any test that we're bearing. We ask Allah Ta'ala to allow us to have total and complete trust in Him. We ask Allah Ta'ala to allow us to be people that rely upon Him and only devote ourselves to Him. And that if we struggle in moments of weakness, that He brings us back to Him gently. We ask Allah Ta'ala to bless everybody in this gathering. We ask, everybody, we ask Allah Ta'ala to bless every person in this gathering with barakah and blessings in their provision. And we ask Allah to give them strength in their health. And we ask Allah Ta'ala to give them peace and harmony in their homes and in their relationships. We ask, them to give, we ask Allah to give them safety in their uh, provision and in their occupations. And we ask Allah Ta'ala to forgive anyone who has passed. We ask Allah Ta'ala to bless anyone who is on a new endeavor. We ask Allah Ta'ala to cure anyone who is sick. And we specifically want to mention our teacher, Sheikh Mikhail Smith, who's recovering from his uh, back uh, surgery, we ask Allah Ta'ala to give him a complete recovery, that he is stronger than he was before going into the operation, and that he's able to rejoin us, inshallah, and to teach all of us together uh, like he used to, inshallah, better than he used to. Ameen, ameen, ya rabbin, ameen. Subhanakallahu bihamdi, tashadu wa la ilaha illa ala sinna sallahu alayhi wa sallam. Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.